everyone welcome to tea time history live sorry i'm a little bit late i had a few technical issues i hope you're doing well today we're going to talk about some of the anniversaries that are um are happening this uh this week um right hopefully that has all happened hello welcome if you are watching on instagram tea time history live also streaming on youtube and facebook so yes, yeah, so let's talk about some of the anniversaries that have happened in history this week. That's what we'll do today. Um, we have a few, some of which we might do in a little bit more detail, but let's have um, let's have a chat and see where we get to. Where are you all joining from? I can see quite a few people joining over on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. Thank you. Uh, I was trying to do uh, a simultaneous stream to Instagram from the same uh, place that I do the YouTube and Facebook streaming but that doesn't seem to have worked so hopefully it's all well let's just go back to what I know David over there in Chicago welcome um yeah let me know where you are uh are watching Farm Murray in Indiana Jules from Delaware um I hope I I'm sometimes guessing at your names from your handles so please uh I hope that's okay Okay, so um, let's talk about some of the histories. Um, oh, Lavina, enjoyed the Ladies Who London podcast. Thank you. Yes, I forgot to thank you, um, Lavina, because I forgot to mention last week, hi, Heidi, hi, Linda, um, that I was on the Ladies Who London podcast. Um, we recorded it, a couple, well, probably about three weeks ago. No, be longer than that now, wouldn't it? Because it went live on the 15th of May, talking about Anne Boleyn. Now, of course, I was on the Anne Boleyn tour at that point. Uh, so, um, but yeah, we were talking about Anne Boleyn and, um, and the, um, the events which were obviously running up to the anniversary of her execution on the 19th. So I'm glad you enjoyed that. Thank you so much. I should uh, reshare that, actually. Um, Amy, Amy, yes, thank you. Um, Amy helped spread is helps helping spread the word about History After Dark in her History After Dark t-shirt, wearing it at the Tower of London. Excellent work, thank you so much. Um, uh, Morelia in uh, oh Morelia too in Australia. Okay, <laughs> good morning, Colleen over there in California. Um, right, so let's have a let's have a look at what we're going to be talking about today. Um, before I do, um, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm live streaming on Instagram, Facebook and um, uh, YouTube. If you want to support me, you can buy badges on Instagram, uh, super chats and stickers and stuff on YouTube. And you can also buy, I think, stars on Facebook. Um, all support is, is really appreciated. However, what I would most like you to do, and I know a lot of you that I'm seeing, hi, Melissa, a lot of you have already done this, is become a patron. And there's a few reasons why. Um, and uh, this week, Benjamin, Inessa, Sarah, Tanya, Amanda and Karen have all become patrons. It is the beginning, so I should let you know, of our next book for book club. So it is a great time to join if you want. It's £5 a month. You can pay more if you want, but it's not compulsory. Hello, Lottie. How are you doing? Uh, it's not compulsory, but it's £5 a month. And um, yeah, so you get access to book club. That's just one of the things. And it's the House of Dudley that we are all beginning to read now. And we're meeting on the 16th of July. I haven't got the book with me today because I have it um, in the car because I'm reading it at every sort of, you know, every five minutes I get picking up kids and such like. So, um, yeah, the history, uh, sorry, the House of Dudley by Joanne Paul is our book of the whatever you call two months because we do that we do our meetings about every eight weeks to give people chance to um to get to, to get to read the book um also what might be oh thank you Lottie Rose for my badge thank you so much much appreciated Lottie is supporting me with badges on Instagram thank you um if you um so we have people from all over the world in Patreon and all over the world who take part in the book club getting the books can be a variety of ease depending on where you are so all of the books are published so we, we published the book list at the start of the year and what I will be doing is come probably August time is uh, start to do the long list which patrons then get to vote on as to what books we'll be reading um 
sort of the, the next few months into the next I don't know, three or four books into 2024 that gives people loads of chance to get hold of the books if that's if that's potentially a problem um anyway so that's book club um soon I will be interviewing um Oh, I've got a few people who I'm waiting to confirm, but I am definitely going to be interviewing Gareth Russell about his new book, The Palace. And again, as a patron, you have extra benefits with that because you get to put your own questions to anyone I interview. I just ask for them to be submitted um, uh, over on Patreon. I give a few uh, a week's notice or so. You you give in your question and I answer it. Uh, I don't answer it. I ask it on your behalf and then you can... Um, then, then you get to see only patrons get to see those questions and their answers so that's all quite cool too right so anyway that's that but that's not what we're uh here to talk about today so we've got some um history anniversaries this week quite a few to um discuss mj hello in um hamilton ontario sunny warm and sunny so i have a tour in four weeks i think it's four weeks tomorrow uh the private life of Anne Boleyn tour and we've just had the Anne Boleyn tour which is like the the annual um uh, one which we do over the uh anniversary of her of her execution the private life of Anne Boleyn tour we are using the backdrop of a happier time in Anne's life the 1535 summer progress to have a look at Anne the woman you know and more of a, a personal look at her as opposed to the um the political and events and everyone else that's involved in the May 1536 uh, timeline. So it's going to be fabulous. But anyway, the sun shone on the Anne Boleyn tour in May and it's, it's, it's doing, doing okay in between, but um, it's gone cold again. <laughs> I'm like, God. I know we're four weeks out, it's fine, but packing, packing, and I don't have a flight to take. You know, most people who come on my tours have got to fly as well. Layers, lots of layers. So, um, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> sorry, where did I go? Where was I going with that? Oh, because of the weather. Yeah. Uh, warm and sunny is just perfect. That would be great for the tour as well. So um, this week, let's have a look at some of the anniversaries this week. Um where are we now? We're the 31st. So 29th of May, so a couple of days ago, was the anniversary of the um, the restoration of the monarchy in 1660. And Charles II actually landed on, the, on his 30th birthday. He came back to England on his 30th birthday, which um, is not a bad birthday present, is it? Um, Jafar, I've been learning English for three years and now I've decided to learn the British accent. Any advice? Listen to it, I suppose. It'll be a matter of mimicking it, I would presume. Um, and there is a um, there is a plethora of British accents. So I don't know which one you're going to want to follow. <laughs> Choose someone and... Uh, as long as it's clear, I don't think it really matters if you have an accent at all. Uh, Lottie Rose, thank goodness he brought back theatre and drinking. Indeed. So Charles II, there's the Restoration Monarch, Party King, um, uh, Bicard, Carden. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so so it, we had a republic for 11 years, which I find is something that can be a little bit, maybe not skipped over now because I've, I feel like we're talking about the Republic t um, more than we ever used to and the time of Cromwell. That might just be me because of because I've been in circles that talk about it more, for instance, on History After Dark, where we've talked about Oliver Cromwell, talked about Charles I, um, and we've talked about the Civil Wars. I did an interview um, with Julian Humphreys. Uh, sorry, I did. That was about Tewkesbury. But for the Stuart uh, Online History Festival, Julian did a talk about the Civil Wars and the English Civil Wars. And it was, it's, it's a really complex, misunderstood period, I think. And I, I've said this about all sorts of periods. Because we have to, have to, because it, they are understandably condensed in order to explain 
the nuance is lost and actually they can the the understanding of a time period I feel can pivot to something different because of that simplification where something isn't simple if you lose the nuance you lose the context and if you lose the context you lose the understanding How, but anyway my point was going to be 11 years um England had been without a king Scotland had proclaimed Charles their king before he went into exile he'd been in exile um in the Netherlands um which um which becomes interesting when we're, we're talking about William of Orange on History After Dark tonight. And William of Orange was Charles II's sister's son. So Charles II's nephew. Um, anyway, so we'll be talking about him tonight. He is uh, he was our, one of our joint monarchs with Mary, another one of Charles II's nieces. So first cousins married. And, um, and they were invited to take the throne um, by, well, in order to basically depose Mary's father, James II, who was Charles II's brother. So, yes, but at this point, Charles II is coming back. Um, He's 30. He's a bit of a lad. And uh, he marries um, Catherine of Braganza. She has three stillborn children. Now, he has plenty of um, illegitimate children, plenty of them. That causes problems. Um, uh, yeah, Lottie, I really want to like Charles, but the Royal Africa Company is right there hanging his leg over his legacy, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there's so much... It, it get, because history is complex, people are complex, politics is complex... I mean, we're we're talking about ruling classes. This is not something that we, as ordinary people, will ever really have a proper insight into. So it's quite nice to look at in a historical context because I feel like we can get, we feel like we can get a bit closer. Um, yeah. So so Charles II, he actually, so he dies with no heir. This is going to link into our history after dark tonight. So, um, so if you're around at eight fifteen tonight, history dot after dot dark uh, on Instagram and history after dark on YouTube, we will be discussing um, the glorious revolution. Specifically, we're talking about William of Orange, William the Third. Um, so, yeah. So Charles II, his only heir, because he's clearly he's, he's, he's they're not having they're not children they're not being blessed with children his only heir is his brother James Duke of York and James is a Catholic pretty known as well known to be Catholic and that is not now allowed not allowed to be Catholic on the throne Interestingly, James's children, Mary and Anne, are brought up Protestant, and that is on the in on the direction of their uncle Charles II. Now, Charles, towards the end of his life, is also showing uh, Catholic tendencies. Um, but anyway, that's not for a little while to come. Now, there's there's significant events which happen really quite early on in um, Charles's reign. You have the great the 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 um uh the great plague. Uh, I don't know if it's called the great plague. Great plague. I'm calling it the great plague of 1665 in London, which decimates the city. Followed hot on the heels of that, um, it's just about sort of abating. When in 1666 you have the great fire of London, and this is seen by some as a um a message from from god is not happy he's not happy with with the new regime but actually on a personal um humanitarian level it turns out to be quite good for charles and james because they well james certainly i can't remember if charles goes to help and james goes to help in fact james leads the effective um uh the 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 effective uh 
actions to combat the fire where the town mayor, um, whose name escapes me right this second, had been woefully inadequate, had just treated the the fire as if, bear in mind there were fires breaking out all over cities um, at at this sort of period. You know, candles are um, the main source of light, fires are the main source of heat, and your buildings are made of wood. Fires were not, uh, you know, they weren't uh, unknown. Um, and the mayor had just completely taken it as sort of, oh, it's just one of these fires, it doesn't doesn't matter, and went back to bed, famously saying that a woman might piss it out. In other words, it was it's only a little fire, don't know what the fuss is about. Anyway, so he is relieved of his post <laughs> eventually, and James becomes... Um, uh, yeah, pivotal in in actually tackling the fire there are other things like the winds die down which have helped to literally fan the flames and take um uh, help the, the fire spread from building to building and 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 uh jump chasms um but yeah so it's sort of um it's almost a good pr activity for the brothers um and then there's, there's the rebuilding of the city. If any of you have ever been to the city of London and seen Monument, which used to be very visible at the time, it now is in the middle of a load of skyscrapers. It stands on the spot um, of the first church, which was taken by the fire. And it is the exact height to reach, if it lay down on its side, where the fire sort of begun um which is interesting because at the time thomas farmer got away with this by the way everyone now knows the baker on pudding lane thomas farmer the fire began in his um in his bakery but he gets away with it um and there are there are other people blamed for it. There are other people die for it um, because um, it's rumours quickly circulate that it's it's a foreigner, um, that it's it's a Catholic you know from France or, or whoever that 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 have started it. And and some poor uh, I was going to talk about this today, so excuse me for not remembering all the facts. But some poor person um, was arrested for it, confessed. Turns out he wasn't even in the city at the time that the fire broke out. And this is a matter of human nature. When something catastrophic happens, we want someone to blame. Don't really care whether it's the correct person or not. That's what happened. Um, like I say, Thomas Farriner, he was um he was quite high up in the sort of social hierarchy of the city and um um i think he even sat on the the board or the jury who tried um this person i might have my facts mixed up but he certainly were, had a hand in um condemning someone else with the blame for the great starting the great fire of london so people also and again, this is just a matter of human nature, wanted to believe it was deliberate. Nothing this bad, nothing this bad can happen by bad luck. Someone has to be to blame, simultaneously believing that perhaps God has sent a message. So, but, you know, there has to be someone to blame. It can't possibly just be an accident, which is interesting because you see that now as well. So, but anyway, I wasn't going to talk about the Great Fire London, but 29th of May, 1660, that is when Charles II comes back to England. It's his 30th birthday and the, the British monarchy is, or what would be British, but anyway, let's not go into technicalities, um, because, uh, is restored. Uh, did I say 27th? 29th of May. Now, 30th of May, this is one for Tudor fans, of course. 30th of May... 1536, Heidi, times don't change, we still rush to blame. We do, we do. And this is why, this is one of the things about history. It's great for stories, but are we going to learn from it or are we not? 
And one of the things is looking at human behavior because you can't look at the specifics, I suppose, well, you can, but whether or that might come at us in a different way, but the principles, the underlying factors will remain the same. Humans effectively will remain the same. Um, Anyway, yes, yeah, so let's get on to, some, on to a Tudor anniversary, the 30th of May, 1536. Henry VIII marries Jane Seymour. It's 11 days since Anne Boleyn was executed at the Tower of London. And Henry feels like it's time to get married. <laughs> of course, he's, he's betrothed to Jane the, the day, I think it was the day after, um Anne is beheaded. And it was planned, that was already planned before um before Anne's guilty verdict came in, let alone before she was actually executed. We've spoken about Anne so much, of course, over the last few weeks with her um with the anniversary. And of course, on tour, Melissa was on tour with uh with us. Linda's been on tour for the Anne Boleyn tour before we, we actually get in, we can get into quite a lot of detail, can't we, about, uh, about the events and about how, how things went. One of the things that, and, and, and each time I get to, I get to talk about it a lot each year and in depth and with incredible people like Gareth Russell and, um, and, and other historians and Tracy Borman and people like that. And, um, and we, um, I've just get I hope Doug's in Droitwich. I was getting confused then. Hello from Droitwich. Or Saltwich. Or did anyone see my Instagram story about Droitwich the other day? Um of course it caught my eye. We were in Droitwich anyway, but it caught my eye because anyone who's I know there's some Last Kingdom fans here, Droitwich features uh as a as a major town in Mercia, but anyway. Um uh, so I've completely lost my train of thought now. Sorry. Um, we uh, so yeah. So we get to talk um, about the minutiae of Anne Boleyn's story with with. But there's always something that catches my eye again. New. Not, it's not new, but you know how you pick up different parts of a story when you when you see it over and over again. It's like a really good film that you can. There's all detail. And the thing that really struck me this year was the delay in Anne's execution she was supposed to die on the 18th of May and it was delayed till the 19th of May and there were various theories as to why that was so if you can hear the dust car outside but there's various theories as to why that was um that's not the bit that caught my eye this time it was that only a few days before she had been persuaded to admit to some um some issue with the the marriage which would mean that it could be annulled why would she do that well possibly because she is being promised of some kind of salvation she could go to an abbey she talks about going to a nunnery then there's the delay in her execution for a whole day for a whole 24 hours and that's what really struck me this time. I was thinking she naturally must be thinking that they're thinking they're thinking of, but they are they're going to. You know, Henry is going to reevaluate. Maybe he is going to send me to a nunnery. You know, he can't possibly he couldn't possibly want to kill me. And anyway, that's the bit of the story that really really struck me this time. However, we all know now that he was already planning his next marriage Jane Seymour is installed in Chelsea by the time that um uh in Chelsea Manor by the time that Anne is executed Henry's sending messages to her that Anne is about to be condemned and he'll confirm it in a message later on and um and then they're betrothed straight after Anne's execution and 11 days later they're actually married and um I noticed yesterday that Gareth Russell made a po- did a post about um, Jane, and uh, and he's got a chapter in his new book on the palace about Jane. Of course, the uh, so his book, the palace, is on Hampton Court Palace, from the Tudors to the Windsors, telling the story of the people who lived there. And one of the chapters is uh, is on Jane, 
apparently. I have the book, but I haven't got that far. So now I'm desperate to get to that that chapter. I wish I'd have read that chapter already. Um, I'm very lucky I've got an editor's proof copy of the book. It's not out till August, I think it is, um, in the UK in December in the US. If you're coming on tour with me, Linda, I know you are um, in September. If you're coming on tour with me, you'll be able to pre-order Gareth's book. You'll be able to get hold of the palace before everyone else from the US. Cool. Um, and I'm I'm interested in in really looking at the character of Jane Seymour for so long. And I don't know where this comes from. Maybe some maybe someone in the audience does. For so long, she's been portrayed and understood as just somebody meek. You know, she must be just doing what Henry says. Um I would like to know whether that's actually true or whether being a Catherine of Aragon fan, whether she just thought Anne had absolutely everything that was coming to her. What's the case? I would like to find out. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, uh, well, I will definitely be gleaning more from, from Gareth's book, I'm sure. Um, if you're on tour with me in July, um, then, uh, which Colleen, are you going to be on tour with me in July? Need to decide quick. But you'll get a um exclusive reading from Gareth's book. Gareth will the Gareth's my tour historian, so he will read some of his new book. Melissa got a um got a exclusive the Anne Boleyn chapter that she read to us on tour just. So that was all very fun. Um right. So Clara, I've got no idea what that means um okay uh now the the other anniversary i was going to talk to you today about maybe in a bit more detail <laughs> clean working on it quick quick my love i need to i need to hammer down the uh arrangements um lottie i think she was masquerading as being meek on the coaching of cromwell hmm, to appeal to henry looking for the polar opposite of Anne. I think Jane is incredibly clever and incredibly sneaky. What also we don't know about Jane is what she would have been like as the mother to the heir because that changes the Queen's position once she is mother to the heir. And, um, you know, we, we've seen it, it with other sons. When the... the when, as when there's a, a viable option, alternative for the throne, um, um, we see this with um, 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 is it Henry II and his and his sons, or Henry III and his sons. Sorry, um, then the the mother starts to get way more power, and you see which side she she goes. Um, so Linda. Looking forward to getting a copy from Gareth in September. I like the UK cover a bit more than the USA cover. Well, that's good. That's lucky because I'm sure that's the one you're going to be getting. Bruno the Bully, good morning in America. Welcome, welcome. Colleen, thank you for my badges. That's so sweet of you. So Colleen and Lottie Rose have both bought me badges on Instagram to help support. Thank you very, very much. Um, much appreciated. Um. Okay, so yes, <laughs> the other anniversary I wanted to talk to you about today, the Peasants' Revolt, which was heating up very much so at this time of year in 1381. Now, I don't know if you know much about the Peasants' Revolt. I would like to know more, so I shall be, because, you know, I have lots of hours in the day. <laughs> I have double the amount of hours in the day that any normal person does. Or so you would think if you looked at my to-do list. Anyway, one of the things I, I, I am fascinated by, um, and this is because I, I've always found, and this is not unique to me at all, but if you want to understand any periods of history, including right up to the present day, you just have to keep going, keep going backwards and, and sideways and to, to learn everything. And I recently did, um, oh, uh, Chelsea says, Dan Jones' book on the Peasants' Revolt is very thorough. thorough. <laughs> Can't speak. Thorough. Really enjoyed it. Yes. Um, Summer of Blood. Is that what it's called? I haven't got that one, actually. That's a very good shout. 
um i i think i will pick up dan jones is just so readable isn't he uh yeah good shout i'm gonna look at that one so um the peasants revolt really was the first mass uprising it was really a it was a yeah i suppose it was an uprising it depends what word you want to stick to it but um rebellion uprising it social movement freedom fighting um you can you can look at it from various different ways we're in 1381 and people had well the 14th century it was crap for people it was just awful there was war the black death had come in i think it was 1340 i can't remember when it was 1348 the black death had come to um to england the black death wiped out around 50% of the population in europe 50% it was just um catastrophic so so the 14th century is brought with it plague it is brought with it war you've got the hundred years war going on and um famine as well on top of that so you've got hungry people um bereft people uh and then and then what the government decided to do is uh in may 1381 is the, the hundred years war not that they would have known it was hundred years war at that time was getting a bit expensive. It was carrying on a bit long. They needed to raise some money. So they decided to bring in a poll tax. Uh, Chelsea, taxation and the Crown deciding how much workers get paid based on their social status. So, yeah, um, by this time, because of the Black Death, you had a suddenly a, a, a abundance of land that people were able, they were able to move around a bit more. They could demand higher wages because there was less of them. And the government tried to step in and 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 basically thwart people's movements and the amount that they could earn. So <laughs> state intervention, basically, to the personal scale, it stopped the um the the ordinary person from improving their lot and try to stop the elites life getting more expensive for the elites now on top of that they decided to bring in this poll tax the poll tax meant that every adult in the country and i I, I think adults started from quite young 14 or something every adult would pay the same amount regardless of what their earnings were this was seen as incredibly unfair. And um, when the commissioners started to try and collect this tax, a third of the population didn't seem to exist anymore. <laughs> nope. No, don't know. Don't know who that was. Never heard of him. Nope, definitely doesn't work here. Uh, so when the, the coffers were totted up, there was a massive shortfall. And the response to that was to get heavy-handed. Now, the heavy-handedness came in the form of effectively sexual assault of women in villages. These people had put up with plague. They'd put up with famine. They'd put up with, actually, you know, the majority, if you think, still paying this stupidly unfair tax paying a tax to pay for a war for a start um which by the way is what most of your taxes pay for and then and then asking for more and then getting heavy-handed because they didn't get it heavy-handed with their women folk this seems to have been the turning point this is what was the actual sort of catalyst now this is specific perhaps but to a place called Brentwood in Essex where there was a man called Thomas Baker who was in fact a baker because that's where those names come from at your trade and he organized a a deputation 
um, to go and see the local tax collector. His name was John Bampton, and they went to meet them at Brampton. Excuse me, at Brentwood. His name, the tax collector's name was Brampton. Brampton had turned up arrogant. He turned up with just a few bodyguards, effectively. And when um, Thomas Baker is trying to sort of say, you know, these people have paid their tax. All these people here, those people gathered around, have paid their tax. You are, they're not going to pay you any more. Because, of course, they're looking for their shortfall now. They're not going to pay you any more. So uh, Brampton decides that he's going to order his tiny retinue to arrest 100 people. Not going to happen. Doesn't happen. Not going to work. Um, so already they are not working out the they're, they're not fe- they're not reading the room. We could say they're not working out. People are not. They really are not messing about. They're they're very angry. They're not going to put up with this. They've put up with a lot. Um, one one thing I should mention now. I would again. I would. I'm I'm not going to be a um a masterclass here on medieval society. However, when they talk about peasants, so the the history of this period is written by chroniclers. The chroniclers are working for the elites. And, um, oh, Chelsea says, interesting similarities between the peasants' revolt in the 1300s England and the turning point around King Louis and the French Revolution, both revolved around the poll tax. In um, Britain, in... Uh, 1980s was it someone help me I, I was still a child um might have been the 90s still a child they um the government here tried to introduce the oh what do they call it they called it something other than poll tax it was very quickly dubbed a poll tax that it's never it's never worked so it doesn't didn't work in 1381 and it didn't work in the 1980s and 90s here. Uh, again, it's like, stop trying it. It's not going to work. Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. I mean, tax. Oh, could get on to tax. But so you, 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 you haven't, you, you're not, you, if you look at the origins of where the taxes come from to begin with, the reasoning behind bringing them in, oh, we'll bring this in because it'll pay for this lovely thing over here that you're all going to be really, really happy to pay for. And it will never go away. But anyway, there you go. So, um, so basically, in 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 English society at this time, you've got serfs and their their overlords. So serfs, so if people could actually like bakers, like like Thomas Baker, he could actually own his own business, he could earn his own money, he could own his own property, but he wasn't allowed to move, and he. Uh, he wasn't allowed, for instance, to marry his daughters without permission from from whoever his overlord his lord was. They're serfs, and this is what the majority of people in England were. So all sorts of trades. These aren't peasants. They're not a rabble. All of these sorts of things come from the chronicles chroniclers at the time, which of course, or well, maybe even writing back on it but who are working for the elites yeah they're not they're not you always have to read i suppose with an idea an eye on where this who's this person when's this person writing who are they so for instance if it's a monk uh there will always be a moral connotation um moral judgment on what they're they're writing about um so what biases do they come to to their writing with and who's going to who who they thinking is going to read it anyway so so these peasants they're not actually there's multiple trade trades people of all sorts of backgrounds um skilled workers people earning their own money but they are all serfs um they're under the control of their their own lord um now as we've already mentioned in, with the black death coming in the um in the mid 14th century there had been slightly more social mobility in terms of uh, not not ranking, but being able to demand higher wages. Because if him over there is go- if he over there is going to pay me more, I'll go and work for him. That's when so the government starts 
there to uh, to step in to um, uh, to uh, stop that happening, puts a cap on wages, puts a stop on people moving um, location. Um, but yeah, so so but there is a hierarchy, not just with elites and serfs within surf within the sort of working population there are all there's also a hierarchy so it is a very hierarchical society i think it, we still are anyway it would be it would be daft to think that that this is somehow a medieval concept and we're above it now we're not if you're a doctor you're going to rank a little bit higher than someone who works in a supermarket we, we're going to do that um man says a poll tax in the u.s is understood exclusively exclusively as a tax in order to vote oh interesting oh literally a poll <laughs> right okay oh chelsea yes we'll get on to john in a moment so just for uh well he comes into the story uh but the king at the time is richard ii he's only 14 years old so people do believe that their king is appointed anointed and pointed by god he has divine right so it can't possibly be his fault. It's not his fault. However, because he's only 14, this is an easy argument to make because he has advisors. He has powerful men at a time as well where the church and the politics are very much linked. And he has two chief advisors. One is the Archbishop of Archbishop of Canterbury, Simon Sudbury, and the other is Robert Hales, who is the treasurer. Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury is also Chancellor of England. And they are the ones responsible for this really strong arm approach to going and trying to get uh, more taxes out of people. So this, these, um, I don't even want to describe what they did to the women. Um, just nastiness, really. Um, thank you, Lally Puppy. Uh, just, just degrading um, treatment of, of the women. Are you married? I know how I'll tell tell whether you're married or not. I'm going to see if you're. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick my hand up your skirt basically and see. Like, I'm sorry, that's not scientific. <laughs> anyway, and if you're married, then you should. Then you must be old enough to pay the poll tax, and therefore, um, you're going to pay it too. Oh, right. Brilliant. This is the sort of thing that they, that that the straw that broke the camel's back. This is this 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 um this torch the the whole thing. It set it all alight. Um. Now, so so the thirtieth of May at Brentwood. This is where. Oh, thank you, Chelsea, for the badges. Thank you so much. Chelsea has bought me some badges on Instagram. Thank you so much. Um. So. This, so the day after Thomas Baker met met with the tax collectors at Brentwood, another tax officer turns up because the first one's scarpered. And he turns up, again, completely underestimating the, the depth and breadth of feeling of people. And um, it all gets very ugly. Now, the, 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 the group now the, of, of people that are there, it's, it's amassing. And they're dangerously close, if not already actually uh, committing treason. Or if they weren't at the start of the day, they certainly were by the end of the day because six of the uh, the guards with the tax collector had been beheaded. Now, if you touch the king's men, you know, men out on the king's work, it's by proxy attacking the king. It is treason. So they've, they've, they're getting to a point of no return, really. Um, now, what was um, perplexing the authorities is that these is that rebellions started to crop up everywhere. So, how was this happening? And it turns out we're again because the way the history was written, with what they want to lead us to believe is that these were peasants and they were disorganized they were a rabble they were just led by violence and emotion and they had no plan oh well they did and they were sending messages coded messages indeed and so these apparently spontaneous um 
uprisings were not actually that spontaneous at all in that there was all this communication going on. And um, on the 2nd of June, rebels marched to Lesnes Abbey. And the reason I want to mention this is because, and this will be something covered in the um, uh, the interview that I keep promising you, which I am promise you I am in editing of, and it's my interview with James Clark about the dissolution of the monasteries, and it will come out in that it, it, over in that as well. I'm going to serialize it. That's the reason it's taken me a, a little while. I'm going to do them in half it's in half hour chunks. It's so fabulous. The abbeys were the major landowner. They are likely to be your landlord if you are living in England at this time. The abbot of the local abbey is likely the man who who is 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 ultimately collecting your rent. Um, and so that's why the rebels attack an abbey first, and they go to Lesnes Abbey, and um, and it's surrendered. The abbot there surrenders the abbey to them. So all's going quite well. Um, so, on, and on the same day, now this is evidence of the um, the way it's actually quite an organised and thought through, even if very, very dangerous, if not fatal for, pe- for some people, potentially fatal for some people. There is a manifesto launched by the rebels, by the freedom fighters, whatever you want to call them, at Bocking in Essex on the same day, so 2nd of June, 1381. And the the, uh, chroniclers um, dismiss, you know, they're they're dismissing these people as disorganised, but they're not. Their manifesto, they see it as patriotic. They see it as protecting traditional rights. Um, What they are saying they're going to do is get rid of the people next to the king who are um, corrupting the king. But they also put in there that they only want laws from now on that are that they assent to. Mm. That's why I think maybe they uh, overstepped uh, the mark. Um, Heidi, uh, it was a tax incurred in the US to deter black people from voting because they couldn't pay. Oh, I see. Hmm. I see. That's the poll tax. Sorry, everyone. That was a, a, a comment following on from Melanie's comment that poll tax is literally a tax in order to vote. Mm. Which, of course, it wasn't a, that in 1381 because the serfs you know, weren't going to get to vote anyway uh, on anything. So, um, God, that's, yeah. Um. So, yeah, so they've got this manifesto that's that's launched on the 2nd of, of June. Now, a violent, spontaneous uprising doesn't generally have a manifesto attached to it. So, um, so there, <laughs> that, that should change our thoughts about it. Um, at Maidstone, Watt Tyler, this is where we see, we see Watt Tyler, his name come up. He's actually, um, elected as, as leader, um, and uh, yeah, so, so that's already happening. The tenth of June, um, at, at the big band of rebels march on Canterbury. They're after the Archbishop of Canterbury, Simon Sudbury, who's Chancellor of England. He's not there because he's not daft, <laughs> and he has decided, um, or he he and uh, the king and the other. Um, Sort of council and chief ministers have gone to the Tower of London. They've they've escaped from Westminster or they've they've left Westminster and they've gone to the Tower of London for um for safety effectively. So the rebels march on London, and this is where John of Gaunt's palace um is destroyed. Now um I would like after this if you haven't already for you to either listen to the podcast or watch my interview with Helen Carr about John of Gaunt because we talk about the Peasants Revolt and we talk about the loss of John's John of Gaunt's palace which was the Savoy Palace which if any of you have heard about of the Savoy Hotel that sits on the same um, spot 
and um it wasn't supposed to be destroyed that's that's really sad the so they these rebels whoever we want to call them they weren't stealing what they didn't want though is anyone to have it so so they weren't after stealing it for themselves but but what happened in in the the, the um, palace of savoy's case specifically was they brought up barrels and barrels were used for wine they were used for keeping valuables they were used for keeping gunpowder john of gaunt had started to amass a bit of an armory because he was at odds with uh, with the king's advisors as well and the uh the people who'd broke into the savoy palace very drunk by this point on the wine so i suppose they did steal a bit because they did have a bit of wine um rolled uh, set a set lights to you know valuables in the middle of the great hall rolled on these barrels uh, this barrel of what they thought was valuables it was gunpowder boom the whole place <laughs> goes john of gaunt never rebuilds it melissa ah thank you say hi to your mum for me love her um so yeah, so that's that's how how um, Savoy Palace was uh, was destroyed. Now the fourteenth of June, Richard II actually went out to Mile End to meet the rebels, and he makes all sorts of promises. Oh, you can have land, and you can have um, more freedom, um, and all this sort of stuff. And he seems to be the one. Now he turns out to be tyrannical king. He's fourteen at the time. You can start to see. Um, maybe it's an emergency um, response. Maybe it's actually calculated. But his advisors are not really the ones seeming to know what to do. They've had it their own way for such a long time that you could see with them sending their tax collectors with a few guards, they are expecting the people to do as they are told. You do as you're told in this in this time. Um, again, possibly something that if we start to look at our own society hasn't changed that much. Do as you're told. Um, and uh, so he goes out to meet them in Ireland and he, he makes all these promises. Now, while he's there, the Tower of London is breached. Um, Simon Sudbury. Um, oh, by the way, Henry, Henry Brolingbrook, who becomes Henry IV, is hiding in the Tower of London at this point. He's not found. But Simon Sudbury is. And Simon Sudbury is um, is dragged out to Tower Hill and beheaded. The first execution on Tower Hill. That's the same Tower Hill that we've been talking about more recently, which in 1536 saw the executions of the five men executed along with, the, well, not literally alongside Anne Boleyn, you know what I mean, at the same time. They were they were executed on the um, 17th of May there. So, but Simon Sudbury was the first one, obviously. There was no due process um, and he and he's beheaded on Tower Hill. Um, Lottie Rose, John of Gaunt and his line are fascinating. They really are. I thoroughly recommend Helen Carr's book, The Red Prince. Um, I sort of picked up a little bit, the book, up, not flippantly, but sort of like, oh, I don't know whether I want to read about John Gaunt, but I'm on holiday. I actually read a book on holiday. You know how you take books on holiday and then don't get to read them. I read, I actually read quite a few last year. And The Red Prince by, by Helen Carr was one of them, which is why I got in touch with her immediately and said, can I interview you? Um, and so that interview is available on YouTube and um, and on the podcast. I'll, if I remember, I'll put a link to it after we finish here. I'll put it on my story. Um. But yeah, so so um, anyway, read that book. But Simon, so Simon Sudbury is the first person to be executed on Tower Hill. Now, fifteenth of June is where it um, it sort of starts to come to an end, um, and it could have been such a turning point. The king rides out to to meet the rebels. Um, he actually meets Watt Tyler. This is 15th of June and um, and they ride out to Smithfield, which now feels very much like it's part of the city. But at that point, it would have been on the outskirts of the city and um, and in fields. Uh, Chelsea loves that book. Lottie Rose loved that book. 
Um, Lottie Rose is a House of Lancaster fan. Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. Um, and yeah, so 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 Richard II meets with Wat Tyler at Smithfield. And there is almost immediately a fracas. So um, one of the stories goes that Wat Tyler refused to remove his hat in front of the king. Um, and one of Richard's men, being so offended by this, just stabbed Wat Tyler there and then. Now that single moment could have been so different to the way it worked out. The rebels had a huge, they had amassed a huge army. There's like 60,000 of them by this point. They're big enough to really take on um, the retinue of the king. The king, bear in mind, he's 14. He rides forward. The, the, the crowd are really starting to get very agitated. He rides forward and declares, I am your king. You know, I, you know and... Um, takes hold take really takes control of the situation it's incredible absolutely incredible if anyone if he hadn't have done that or if he hadn't have had what i assume is the prowess at that point to say it bear in mind as well that they never say they blame the king for any of this it's always his advisor sudbury's already been um executed um and they, yeah, so he really takes control of that situation. And um, now, unfortunately, so the Peasants' Revolt really, then it it, 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 it comes to an end. It fizzles, I'm sorry, fizzles out. It comes to an end. It does not affect any social change. Richard doesn't go through with any of the promises he made about freedom or uh, ability to own land, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't have the poll tax and they don't try and bring back in the poll tax until the 1980s or 90s, which I still haven't, I still don't know when that was. Uh, in my lifetime anyway, where they tried to bring in a poll tax that wasn't called that, but it basically was that. Um, that was, it was immediately dubbed that. So um, I just I find that whole thing fascinating. I'm going to pick up Dun Jones' book, Summer of Blood, though, um, because I want to know more. I hope you like that, though. My rattle through it. Um, I have another thing to tell you, I think, before I will let you go, because this is um, something new. Uh, I had confirmation um, yesterday of a little bit of an offer. Chelsea, there's certainly a, a turning point in how the king began his independent reign, I feel. Chelsea, that is a really good point. So Richard II, he's 14 at this time. He's had his advisors with him during his minority. They've let him down. They didn't know what to do during this time. He, he has been protected by God. He single-handedly has dealt with the uprising. From this point on, Richard thinks, believes, feels he is untouchable and he is correct in everything. Now, I don't know if you've met many teenage boys, <laughs> but they think that anyway. So then stick a crown on his head and have him basically put down the up till now, the only uprising on a mass uprising of the population and you've got someone who feels very powerful. Um, yeah, Richard II might be someone we can get into at another point. Uh, yes, great, great point. Thank you, um, Chelsea. So, yeah, just before you go, um, if uh, I haven't mentioned it for a little while, but if any of you are uh, or have already bought your tickets or uh, well, for the Tudor Online History Festival, it's in October, um, the lineup. I put it up. Can I put it up here? Um, the lineup is uh, Elyri Lynn, Dr. Estelle Peronk, Gareth Russell, Tracy Borman, Dr. Kat Marchant, Joanne Paul, 
who's uh, written the house of Dudley, uh, who I spoke about earlier because we've um, we've got her book now coming up in um, book club, and James Clark, who I also spoke about because I interviewed him about the dissolution of the monasteries, and I do promise it's coming. It is coming. Um, that's the lineup for the Tudors Online History Festival. If you buy your ticket, you will also get ten percent off an annual subscription to Tudor Places magazine. See, I have a fourteen-year-old son with the same mindset. Yes, I have an eighteen. Yes, hard, hard work. Uh, Dr. Cat, the legend herself. Yes, of course. Um, Dr. Cat is be with me on History After Dark tonight as well. If you're interested, we're talking about William of Orange. So, talk about William of Orange tonight. Um, oh, Heidi says the Red Prince. So that's Helen Carr's book on John of Gaunt is available for free and audible. Uh, free in an audible membership at the moment Ooh, thoroughly recommend it it's really well narrated as well it's really well narrated um if you want sorry back to the tudor sorry tudor online history festival if you want uh tickets for that it's the tudors 2023.eventbrite.co.uk and you can get your ticket for that um, and I will be writing out to everyone with their code for 10% of, of the annual membership of Tudor Places magazine. It isn't till October, but um, get it in your diary because we have we have live event and um, uh, so which you'll want to come to with a live panel. So all of these, all of those speakers I just said about will be will be on a live panel. So you'll be able to put your 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 uh, your questions to them during that event. So that's the Tudors Online History Festival. You can get tickets at thetudors2023.eventbrite.co.uk. Um, you also get a 10% discount on tickets for that event if you're a patron. So why not just bite the bullet and come along and join me on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash British History. I'd love to see you there. You can get the links to all of those things in my bio Um everywhere I think um but yes that would be great all right everybody that's that's been an hour thank you so much for sticking with me I hope you all have a fabulous day if you're around at 8 15 tonight come and join me and Dr Kat and Catherine as we discuss William of Orange William the Third on History After Dark all right everybody see you soon bye-bye